If you're able this morning, would you stand with me one more time as we honor the reading of the wonderful word of the Lord. Today we're looking in the book of John, chapter number 19. The book of John, chapter number 19. We're going to begin reading with verse number 28. The Bible says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel, of, a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there. They filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Lord, I thank you today for this day and what it represents. The greatest day in history today, the day of the celebration of the resurrection of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, I pray today, Lord, that as we endeavor to share the word of God, the anointing, Lord, will rest upon the message, the messenger. God, I pray, Lord, that you'll give us ears to hear your word today. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning and they do not know you as Lord and Savior of their life, I pray today will be the day. Holy Spirit, will you do your work of conviction today? And Lord, let there many come to know you today in this service. All for the glory of God we ask in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. And you may be reseated this morning. Well, our theme today is, it is finished. You see, everything that we will ever want or need on earth and in eternity has already been bought and paid for. It's a finished product. Everything we want to do for ourselves and yet we lack the power and the ability to do has already been done for us. I have three questions to ask and then endeavor to answer today on this glorious Easter morning. Question number one is this, what was finished? Jesus said, it is finished, but what was finished? Well, in his final moments on the cross, verse 28 of John 19 records this. Knowing that all things were now complete, say all things. Knowing that all things were now complete. Verse 30, Jesus said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Jesus said, it is finished. But what was finished? Well, I want to suggest three things. First of all, the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation. You see, before God ever created man, he knew that man would sin. He knew that man would disobey him. And he knew that in man's disobedience and in man's sin that man would be separated from him. And so God put a plan in place before he even created us a plan for salvation. Can you imagine how much God must love us today in order for the fact of knowing that even before he created man, that man would walk away from him, that man would deny him, that man would, would be in disobedience to him, that man would disobey him. And God loved man so much, and he knew that man would separate himself from him. But God loved man so much that he created a plan before he even created man. He made a plan for the restoration of man. God put a plan in place before he even created us, a plan for our salvation, a plan to restore us back to him. And that plan had a name, and the name of God's plan was Jesus. 
John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only son that whoever would believe upon him would not have to perish but could have everlasting life. And verse 17 says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. God's plan was to send his perfect son to save imperfect man. Jesus was God's plan. And on the cross, Jesus finished God's plan. What else was finished on the cross? Well, the power of sin. The power of sin. See, see, sin has the power to separate man from God. Sin has the power to to destroy lives and doom people's souls to an eternal hell. But on the cross, say on the cross, on the cross the power of sin was broken. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8 says, For this purpose the Son of Man was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Through our faith in Christ and his bloody cross, the power of sin in our lives is broken for us. See, see, we can be instantly changed from sinner to saint. Oh, not by anything that we could ever do, but by placing our faith in the one that did for us what we could never ever do for ourselves. What else was finished on the cross? The provision for the saints. See, Jesus is the source for the supply of all of our needs. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 19 says, And my God shall supply. Say, shall supply. My God shall supply all of your needs. Say, all of your need. My God shall supply all of your need according unto his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. See, God has the supply and Jesus is the supplier. Isaiah 53, verse 4 through 6 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The provision for the saints was bought and paid for on the cross. Oh, salvation, oh, healing, deliverance, financial provision, daily victory, and on. And on and on and on. And the list goes on and is endless. Listen, hear me this morning. The answer... The answer to every question is Jesus. The provision for every need is Jesus. All right, we've answered the first question, what was finished? Let's ask and endeavor to answer the second question, who finished it? Who finished it? Well, the answer to this question, of course, is Jesus. But but who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, first of all, I would suggest that he's the Son of God. He's the Son of God. John 3, 16 that we read a moment ago says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. His one and only what? One and only Son. Jesus is God's Son. Romans chapter 8 and verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own Son but gave him up for us all. 
See, we need to understand that Jesus didn't get his beginning in Mary's womb in Bethlehem's manger. No, we need to understand who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. He is as much God as God the Father is. He has always been and he always will be. Who finished it? Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, who was 100% God and 100% man. Who is Jesus this morning? He's the Son of God. Not only is he the son of God, but I would also suggest this morning he's the spotless lamb. The spotless lamb. We understand the lambs in the Old Testament sacrifice had to be the best of the best. If even one tiny blemish was found on that lamb, that lamb was disqualified. We also understand these lambs were a picture of the true spotless lamb, Jesus Christ who being God was 100% pure, 100% righteous, 100% sinless. The Son of God would come to earth and live as Son of Man. He would live holy, he would live righteous, he would live 100% sinless. Listen, listen, anything less would disqualify him as the ultimate sacrifice. Who is Jesus? He is the spotless Lamb. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says, You were not redeemed by perishable things like silver or gold, no, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14 says, Through the blood of Christ, who offered himself unblemished to God, are we made clean. Who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. He's the spotless lamb. He's the savior of all mankind. Acts chapter 5, verse 30 and 31 says, God raised Jesus from the dead, exalting him as both prince and savior. We understand that a savior is one who saves or delivers. He doesn't merely help you. He's much, much more than just a helper. Listen, listen, a Savior does for you what you are unable to do for yourself. If you're able to do it for yourself, you don't need a Savior. Oh, Jesus is much more than just a, just a cheerleader who shakes pom-poms and cheers us on to victory. No, no, Jesus actually put on the pads. He actually put on the uniform. He actually paid the game, played the game for us. I would tell you this morning that we do not have to wonder who is going to win because the empty tomb declares Jesus the winner. By the way, I've actually seen the tomb. My wife and I several years ago took a trip to Israel and my wife and I many years ago went into that garden tomb and I want to tell you that that we saw that that the the tomb was the tomb was empty listen let me give you an update on that and that is just a few days ago some of our very own TGP family members Keith and Caroline uh, Armstrong visited Jesus' tomb I asked them and they declared to me it is still empty I'm telling you this morning the empty tomb amen lets us know who the winner is. Well, you might say, Pastor, what is the significance of the resurrection? You might say, Pastor, was not the cross enough? Well, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 14, he said, if Christ is not risen, he said, your preaching and your faith is useless. 
He said, if Christ is not risen, he said, you are still in your sins. Let me tell you this morning, we're not just talking about the cross. We're not just talking about the blood this morning. We're also declaring that three days later, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, Oh, yes, he died on the cross. Yes, he shed his life's blood for you and me. But, oh, he overcame, amen. He overcame because on the third day, amen, he came back from the dead, amen, and he's alive and he lives today. We serve a risen Savior this morning. There were more than 532 eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, how do you know? Well, I've been to the tomb myself. I've walked in there. I've seen that the tomb is empty. But I want to tell you, I also, I also agree with the old hymn writer who penned these words to the hymn, He Lives. And that is, you ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. Listen, I don't just have to look at history. I don't just have to take somebody else's word for it. I know I serve a risen Savior. I know Jesus is alive today, not just because this book says he is, but because he lives on the inside of me. He lives in me today. How about you? How about you? Amen. And because he lives, he's my Savior. He did for me what I can never ever do for myself. Who is? Who is Jesus? Well, he's the Son of God. He's the spotless Lamb, and he's the Savior of all mankind. All right, we've asked and we've answered the first two questions today. We've answered the questions, what was finished and who finished it? The third question this morning, only you can answer. Only you can answer this question. And the third question I have for you this morning is why? Why are you not taking advantage of it? Let me ask you this this morning. If someone were to offer you the perfect gift with no strings attached... A gift that they bought and they paid for. A gift that would meet your most urgent and desperate need. A gift that was offered to you free of charge. Would you not take it? Would you not take it? To think that your biggest need would all of a sudden be met. Your greatest struggle would finally be over because of their gift. Oh, because of their gift, stress would ease. Oh, oh, because of their gift, worry lines would fade from your brow. Sleepless nights would be replaced with peaceful rest. Oh, why in the world would you not accept this incredible, incredible gift? And yet, And yet the greatest gift that has ever been offered is rejected by the multitudes. Oh, I ask you this morning, are you you taking advantage of this gift? Well, let me just briefly mention this morning three of the unlimited benefits that come with this gift called salvation. The first one is this, and that is the penalty of sin has been paid. The penalty of sin has been paid. On the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for man's sin. I don't know how he did it. It is a miraculous thing. But some way, somehow, God gathered up all the sins that man would ever commit. All all of the sins of all past ages, of a present age, and all of the future ages to come. Somehow, miraculously, God gathered up every single sin of man. Oh, he gathered up your sins and he gathered up my sins. Place his very own son on the cross, and then he poured out every single sin of man on his son. 
Then he poured out his wrath for our sins on his son. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And verses 40 through 44. says, when he came to the place, speaking of Jesus, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down and he prayed. He prayed, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. An angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I ask you this morning, what was in this cup? What was in the cup of Gethsemane? What was in this cup that could be so horrendous? What was in this cup that could be so terrifying, that could be so disgusting, that even the mere thought of having to encounter it would cause Jesus to sweat? When you think about it, even on the cross, even on the cross with its excruciating pain and, and its intentional torture, even on the cross, Jesus didn't sweat blood. What could possibly be in this cup that would be so horrible, so horrible, so horrendous that just the thought, just the thought of it could make Jesus stress out so much that blood became oozing out of his spores? What was in the cup? Sin. Sin was in the cup. Sin was in that cup. All sin, your sin, my sin, every single sin of man was in the cup of Gethsemane. Sins of murder, of sin of rape. The sin of homosexuality, all, all the sins of adultery and lust and greed and jealousy and bitterness. And the list goes on and on and on and on. Listen to me, listen to me. Listen, in the cup was in that cup was beyond description. Oh, oh, we can't even fathom, we can't even, we can't even understand how horrendous and horrible and how ugly and defiling was the pr- contents of that cup. And Jesus. Jesus would have to drink that cup. Isaiah 53 and 6 says that God laid on Jesus the sins of us all, gathering up every sin of man, putting them in the cup that Jesus would have to drink. My third question for you today is why are you not taking advantage of God's free gift? This gift includes the penalty. The penalty of sin has been paid. But not only that, I would also suggest the prison doors of sin have been opened. The Bible says that the sinner is bound by sin. Sin, Sinners are literally prisoners of sin. Oh, I understand how sin works. Sin starts out fun. It starts out fine. Sin makes outlandish promises. Sin presents itself with over-the-top appeal. Oh, there's glitter. Oh, oh, there's glamour. Oh, it sparkles. But the truth of the matter is sin lies. Sin lies. 
Sin makes promises it cannot keep. Oh, somebody said sin will take you farther than you intended to go. And it will keep you longer than you intended to stay. And it will cost you more than you intended to pay. Oh, listen to me, listen to me. Ask the alcoholic or the drug addict how, how fun sin is. Ask the adulterer who has lost his family, who has lost his reputation, who's lost most of his assets. Ask him how fun sin is. Ask the porn addict how fun it is to sneak around in sleazy places. Oh, to sneak around in the middle of the night at home while everybody else is asleep, hoping nobody wakes up, hoping nobody catches you. Oh, think, think of all the guilt, think of all the shame, think of all the stress that sin can cause. Question to you this morning is why would you not take advantage of the fact that Jesus offers you the key to unlock the prison doors and let you out of sin's prison? Oh, I'm telling you this morning, if you're bound by sin today, if you're bound by the shackles of sin, I'm telling you that Jesus holds the keys today and Jesus will unlock the key and he will, un- and he will let you out of the prison that you're in this morning. It can happen to you this very day. Romans 6 and 6 says our old self was crucified with Christ so that we would no longer be ruled by sin. Verse 14 says sin shall no longer be your master. Not only has the penalty of sin been paid for and the prison doors of sin opened for you, I would suggest this this morning, that it is the pain, the pain that accompanies sin has been annihilated. The pain that has been a, that accompanies sin has been annihilated. People carry around scars from the damage that sin has produced in their lives. People deal with guilt from the pain that they have inflicted on those that they love the most because of their sin. You see, one of the worst things about sin is that it affects others. Oh, I understand sin lies to you. Sin lies to you and says, this is just between you and me, sin says. Sin says nobody has to know. Sin says no, no one else is going to be affected by this. Oh, sin says to us, you can do this and get by with it. Oh, sin says nobody is going to get hurt. But no one is an island. And everything we do affects others. But here's the good news. Yes, yes, I've got good news for you this morning, and the good news is Jesus can heal our hurts. He can mend our wounds. He can take away the guilt and the shame that we have been carrying around as a byproduct and a residual effect of our sin. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1 says, there is therefore now, say now, Now. say it again now. now, say right now. Right now, there is therefore now no condemnation. How much? No condemnation. How much? There is therefore now no condemnation for anyone, for everyone. 
No, 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 there is a prerequisite here. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, if you're in your sin this morning, you're outside of Jesus Christ, outside of his will and his way. If you're not saved this morning, I'm telling you, you have guilt, you have shame. This morning, you have condemnation. But I'm telling you this morning, you can leave that condemnation behind. The guilt and the shame can be wiped away this morning. It's only, only through the blood of Jesus Christ, only by his finished work on the cross only because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that's finished it all once and for all. Let me say this this morning. If you have repented of your sin and you still have guilt and you still have shame and you still have condemnation, hear me this morning. This is coming from either Satan or self. It is not coming from Jesus. You see, through him and his finished work on the cross and the empty tomb, the pain that accompanies sin has been annihilated. The third question today is why are you not taking advantage of it? Why are you not taking advantage of it? If I could have some help on the platform this morning. I'm not finished, but I'm going to release you. The takeaway for the message today is this. The cross, the cross is a picture of Christ's finished work. The empty tomb is a picture of his finale. Would you like that this morning? Amen? Do I get heaven amen? The cross is a picture of Christ's finished work. The empty tomb is a picture of his finale. Matthew chapter number 27, verses 55 through chapter 28 and verse number 8. The Bible says here, and many women who followed Jesus from Galilee ministered to him, were there looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite of the tomb. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive, how that, that deceiver said, after three days I will arise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he is risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and they made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. And setting the guard. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, 
to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the, where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. Verse number 6 says, He is not risen for he, or he is not here, for he is risen as he said. 